Welcome back to the Board Game Community Show, the podcast where we get to know people throughout the board game community. Hmm, Go figure. I'm your host, Riley Stock, and today I've got David Spira from Reality Escape Pod, a podcast where they talk about escape rooms and things similar. It's an amazing podcast, and he's an amazing person. It, It was such a fun conversation. At the end of their episodes on the podcast, their guests share a, a funny story or uh, something weird that happened to them in an escape room. And so at the end of this episode, stick around till after I yak your ear off and you'll get to hear his story. And it is, a, it is great. I just love it so much. The beginning of this episode is a little different because we were talking before we started, and so I decided to just include some of that pre-talk. So we're going to be talking for like a minute, and then all of a sudden we're going to be like, well, hey, let's start the show. So you get to hear that behind the scenes. All right, enjoy. That's funny. I'm, uh, I'm used to you speaking faster. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> Do you listen at 1.5? I, I usually I listen to most things at like 2x. So oh, wow, nice. Everyone sounds like a mouse to me, and I'm always surprised whenever I speak to someone <laughs> that, I've, that I've been listening to on YouTube or on, uh, on podcasts. I'm like, oh, wow, you, you speak like a normal human being. Forget this. <laughs> hey, I, I can try to do that really good. Uh, no, nope, I can't <laughs> think that fast. <laughs> I, I can't either. I speak pretty slow. Yeah, <laughs> you have such a good podcasting voice. Thank you. Uh, I it was coached years of mock trial. Really? <laughs> yeah, years and years of mock trial and uh, being told to slow down, speak up, and slow down. Hmm. Do you apply that to? I, we're already starting the interview. I guess. Are yeah. you? Are you ready? <laughs> I'm ready. I'm ready when you are. <laughs> okay. Hey, David, how's it going? It's going great, Riley. How are you? I am so good. I'm really excited to have you on here. I'm very excited to be here. I've been enjoying your podcast. I've been enjoying yours. I'm. It's weird to catch up on a podcast and then it's like, I don't, I don't have this weekly anymore. Yeah, um, we're working on season two. One of the things that um, when we were starting to plan this podcast, we spoke to a few podcasters and I asked them about their good and their bad decisions. And one of the bad decisions that I kept hearing from people was making it a committed weekly podcast, because then it puts you into either this infinite race of just trying to keep up and trying to keep the quality good enough, or you start to trip and stumble and you're constantly in this loop of like, I know it's supposed to be weekly, next one's coming, promise. So we (laughs) decided to do seasons where we record about half the season before we start putting out the first episode. That way we have a lead time to get the rest of the guests on, get everything recorded, get everything edited. Yeah, that's really smart. I love that idea. I kind of wish that I did that, and I still could. I could change you still it could. this season. <laughs> but I'm like, finally, like, we're recording, and I've got my episode this week, and then yours will come out next week. So we're recording a week in advance. Cool. Which 
is nice, but then I'm like, okay, well now I've got to find another guest for the next week. But the other side of that, and I didn't, in yours, there weren't any like necessarily indicators of like, this was recorded beforehand. It, you know, it could have been recorded at any time. Season two, which we just recorded the first half of, we did it out of order because our guests couldn't show up in the order that we were intending. Oh. <laughs> and um, that got a little funky, especially in our um, bonus episodes for our for our Patreon supporters, um, where we're like, hey, in two episodes, we're going to be having a really great conversation about this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's really awesome and trippy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's all in keeping with this past year of time being amorphous. Yeah. Well, I guess before we talk more about your podcast, uh, let's talk about what it is. Room Escape Pod. Reality Escape Pod. Oh, Reality Escape Pod. Oh, my goodness. I was mixing up your uh, yeah. website. <laughs> my, my website with my podcast. And the website is probably going to get rebranded at some point. I've owned Reality Escape Artist for a long time with kind of a low-key intent of making that switch um, as... Our, our roots are in room escapes. Um, my, my wife and I started Room Escape Artist in uh, 2014, which in escape room years, it makes us elderly. Um, <laughs> we are like the, like the old couple of, the, of, of escape rooms. And it's, it's weird talking to the young whippersnappers who don't remember and didn't experience some of the really early Wild West days. When I started the website with Lisa... We thought we were going to be covering a really niche, nerdy, underground thing that was going to remain completely underground and niche and nerdy for probably like five to seven years. And I thought one day this is going to be huge. I just didn't know when. And so the the plan was we were going to go and put out a post or two a month, maybe a post a week about this weird underground thing. And one day it was going to be a big deal and we'd you know, figure out what this thing would be when it grew up. The website started kind of booming um, almost immediately. The industry started growing aggressively in like early 2015. And the thing just sort of ate our lives. And I say that like with love. We we love that it did. But it was this whole thing kind of emerged out of nowhere. And our relationship grew around it. Over time, the industry has had lots of different conversations within various parts of the communities. Like, do we want to call these room escapes? Do we want to call them escape rooms? Do we want to call them adventures? Do we want to call them, you know, whatever? Everyone has a different name because it's a nerdy thing and nerds like to name things and argue about taxonomies. <laughs> of course. We kind of, as we were starting to plan for our future, we started thinking this is about escaping reality. It's, it's physically immersive. It's, it's a way for you to step out of your world for a day. Whether you're looking at the word escape as literal, you're escaping a place, or figurative, you're escaping your world for an hour or two, we were really enjoying that. And so that was kind of where the, the, the slow rebrand started. That makes a lot of sense. And, and that's really interesting. And I, I remember like after work in 2007 talking to a friend and being like, it would be so fun to like make this buy an old warehouse and buy and, and just make it seem like it's a normal dinner thing. But only one person in the group might know that there's going to be a collapse, like an explosion and the, the, 
debris will fall and make it like a maze and they have to figure out a way out of the building. And, and, you know, we were just 18, 19 years old talking about this and thinking like, Oh, there's no way that would work. There's no way any, like nobody would really be interested in that. And thinking about the liability of like people not knowing they were doing that. (laughs) The funny thing is this is what I did to my friends. The first time I took them to an escape room. (gasps) Really? I was planning a trip to Budapest with a childhood friend and she and I had, we'd gotten this like Groupon ridiculous deal and we were looking at TripAdvisor to figure out what to do there. And there was this really high rated thing to do called claustrophilia, had like a ton of five star reviews and the name warranted further investigation. So I look into it and it's, it's a room escape. I had never heard of the concept, but growing up on puzzle video games and all sorts of puzzles and mysteries and things like that, I immediately fell in love with the idea of this. And I spoke to my friend and we both agreed we were definitely going to do this, but we weren't going for like three, four months. I went to bed that night and woke up the next morning and had what I call my entitled New Yorker moment, where I said, (laughs) if this exists in Budapest, there should be one in New York City. And it turned out the very first escape room had just opened in New York. And I booked out the entire room, which was like 12 tickets. And I invited 11 friends to go with me. And I didn't want to tell them what we were doing. I told them it was going to cost $28. I think it was going to take about 90 minutes. And I was pretty sure it was going to be fun and pretty sure it was going to be safe. And (laughs) to show you how much my friends trust me, nine of them accepted on just that information. And I didn't want them to be able to figure out where we were going. So I gave them the address of a restaurant, a a Cajun restaurant, a few blocks away from the escape room. We met there, had lunch, and then I walked them to the escape room and they found out what we were doing in the elevator. Wow. (laughs) How did they take it? um, I think everyone had a good time. I don't think anyone had as good a time as I did. I, (laughs) I was just all all about this and then two days later we were hit by a snowstorm i shoveled my car out and then walked down to a a a bar that um, my friends invited me to and um in the middle of this snowstorm and i met this girl lisa and started talking to her and talked about this weird puzzle room thing that i had done she said, that sounds cool. So I asked for her number and now we're married and we run a website. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad that that an escape room was your pickup line, essentially. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's 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 on brand. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Very nerdy. What about before escape rooms? Did you like did you do board games? Did you do other nerdy things? I am a serial nerd. I am the consummate indoor kid. I grew up, you know, I grew up on 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 video games, board games. Over time, I shift, I slowly shifted from video games being just like the center of my my social life to board games. And for me, a lot of it was video games and board games both provide for me the thing that I I crave, which is I love I love the social side of it. I love being in the same place and playing these games with people. And they both kind of occupied a 50-50 split for me for a long time until video game design started shifting more towards uh, focus on online play. And 
it you know the killing off of split screen or lo- you know local mm. local co-op local competitive i you know i loved hosting land parties and once that kind of thing stopped being the focus of a video game design or a focus of video game design uh, a lot of it lost its appeal to me i don't feel the same playing remotely as i do with playing with my friends there when we're like trash talking isn't as fun yeah when, <laughs> when you're not there and when you can't go out and go out to a diner and you know at, at midnight after an evening of playing yeah that makes a lot of sense and i i have very fond memories of that too of video game land parties that was huge it's kind of surprising that they went away from that and like games on future generations even got rid of the option completely of being able to land together you had to be online and and that was kind of a bummer yeah board games seems like a natural place to go if you want to do in-person gaming exactly and most of the people who i took to my first escape room were my board gaming friends so it was you know organic (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah and that's what i think of i've always wanted to do an escape room haven't done one we got a group together to go and then we were like we'll go next month pandemic hit (laughs) of course so (laughs) they all closed down you're in salt lake right yeah yeah i've been i've been around there i can uh i can give you some recommendations oh great throw them out right now that's fine I was going to ask if you've been to Salt Lake, and you have. I have. Because you've been worldwide. Have you been to every state? Uh, I've not been to every state. We've played We've played escape rooms, and I want to say, I think, and I used to have all of, all of these stats at my fingertips pre-pandemic, and then they all stopped being relevant and <laughs> fell out of my brain. <laughs> Makes sense. So we have a Salt Lake City, Salt Lake City and Park City recommendations guide on Room Escape Artist. Now, I will preface by saying it was last updated in May of 2018, which was around the time that we were out there last. Lisa was speaking at a linguistics conference in Salt Lake. Oh, cool. Um, but at the time, the two that we were really recommending the most were Alcatraz Escape Games, which is a little outside of Salt Lake City, and then Escape Room Park City, which is yeah in Park City. They had a game called Mind Trap. Escape from Park City did something interesting, which I really like. They have budget games and premium priced games. So you kind of are getting what you pay for. And their budget games are solid, old school escape games. Their Mind Trap game, which costs almost double if memory serves, was a much higher build quality, much more of an adventure. And I think it was worth the extra money. There's some really great stuff in... uh, in, in the Salt Lake area. Get Out Games is good. Yeah, so those those are uh, those are some of the standouts. That was the one we were looking at was Get Out Games. Yeah, we did a game there called The Reactor Room, which was like a whole nuclear reactor meltdown thing, which was which was a good time. You've been with a lot of groups. Do you find that some groups don't get as immersed in it? Uh-huh. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So the thing is, I think a lot of people look at escape rooms as a as an intellectual Olympics, as a a thing where you go to prove whether you are smart. And if you don't prove you're smart, then you are dumb. And I think that 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 makes some people reluctant to go. It also makes some people who do go play in a very aggressive way, sometimes almost competitively within their teams where they're trying to prove that of the smart people in this room, I am the smartest of them. The secret to escape rooms is that they are really much more of a collaboration challenge, 
I would say in a in a board game sense, in a board game sense, they are much more akin to playing Pandemic than they are to playing really any kind of competitive game. You are you're going to win and lose based on your ability to communicate, to call out things that are challenges, things that might be clues, to step out of the way when you are not actually effect- effectively solving a thing. Because the puzzle world has this huge range of complexity. You can buy mechanical puzzles that'll sit on your desk and you won't be able to solve them for you know a year or five. You'll just pick it up every day and fiddle with it. And then one day you'll have finally made all the discoveries you needed to to solve it. You can go to puzzle hunts, which are these incredible large team puzzle competitions, the largest of them being the MIT mystery hunt. And there'll be hundreds of puzzles. And each puzzle could take a team of people multiple hours to solve. And these are people who all have like PhDs and all sorts of random stuff. Escape room puzzles are compact. A hard escape room puzzle takes like at most five minutes for someone to solve without, you know, assuming that they figure out, you know, they figure it all out and they don't need hints or they don't get stuck. But like a complex escape room puzzle is not that hard. It's much more about figuring out how to work well with your team. And in the most modern escape rooms, the puzzles are even secondary. It's more about the immersive adventure. It's the story that you're experiencing. It's sort of the difference between, you know, playing Pac-Man and playing like Metal Gear for like a, you know, for, for you know, an early video game reference, you know, yeah. point of reference. <laughs> yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, it's a co-op adventure that you're going on. Exactly. If you want the high score, then you're going to have to work together and call things out. That was something I learned. I feel a lot more confident going into uh, an adventure now, an escape room after listening to it. I can't wait. I think they actually just started opening up last week. Yeah, the whole industry is starting to reopen, and we're really excited about that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I bet you guys have saved a little money traveling, maybe? Yeah, yeah, we've we've uh, we've saved some money. We've uh, it, it's been nice in some ways and depressing in others. Yeah, <laughs> we've just done our best to embrace the positives that we could extract out of this past year. Yeah, have you done a lot of of like the boxed adventures, I guess. Done a lot of the boxed games, done a lot of the virtual escape games that have emerged over the past year, which was a genre that almost didn't exist pre-pandemic. And now there are a staggering amount of them, some of them phenomenal. Um, Shout out if you are interested in playing some of the, some really amazing virtual escape games. We have recommendations guides for all of these things on our, uh, on our website, but um, some amazing virtual games. It's a little bit hard, but Escape from the Lab of Shifting Rules, which is a game from Scrap in out of uh, Tokyo, Japan, which is actually the first escape room company. Hmm. They basically made Baba is You into an escape room, and it has to happen virtually. It's outrageous. It's hard. You got to really show up to play, but it's 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 really cool. Is it like just through a browser or there are there's a performer in the room who who is basically functioning as your avatar, your eyes and your ears and your hands, and they are you're commanding them around. And there is a in this game, there's a device where over the course of the game, you're finding cards that have, you know, basically nouns for the most part and some verbs. And the, you, there's a little box you can slot them into. And um, when you do that, 
it changes the rules of the room. So, you know, you can change um, spoon to red. And if there was a spoon in the room, then that spoon would suddenly be red. And they are like your performers hot swapping out all of these different rules in the room and sometimes making things appear and disappear and, and, you know, changing the physics of the space, which is really, really clever. Strong recommend. For the more D&D crowd, there's a company called Trapped Puzzle Rooms out of St. Paul, Minnesota, and they have been running audio escape rooms that are sort of like D&D one-shots, and they're really creative, and they're really fun, and they allow your team to kind of play them the way you want to play them. That is fascinating. There's all sorts of creative stuff happening in the space. Yeah, I love, you know, as much as the pandemic sucks, there's a lot of innovation that comes from being trapped in this sort of situation. A lot of people explore alternative paths, ways to uh, alternative pathways to, to fuel that creative desire they have. And that's what I love. And that's what actually like attracted me into the escape room world in a lot of ways in the first place is my background is in technology. I'm a UX designer. Oh, cool. And I was loving the rate of innovation, the rate of the, the the volume of creativity and the way that people were, were coming up with all these new ways of playing games together and the cross pollination from video games and from movies and from tabletop games and all sorts of stuff. And these creators just take whatever was inspiring them and figure out, well, how do I blend that together into a physical game? Yeah. I, I love that. We talked sort of about how you've been all over the world doing these. It's been a weird... I've I, I've been very lucky. <laughs> yeah. Very lucky. Yeah. Have you ever found that, like, uh, there's a language barrier? Is there ever, like, a language barrier in an escape room in a different country? Oh, I love this question. So, yes. There are all sorts of... Escape rooms are regional, People ask us about the U.S. escape room market, but really there's like a Salt Lake market and an L.A. market and a New York market. And they all are, their styles. If you think about it like music, there are styles that, that, that shift from place to place. The core concept is there. The musical notes are, 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 you know, all the same musical notes. The chords are all the same chords. But the way that people are combining them, the rhythms they're using, the the verbiage, they all shift. But when you travel internationally, you end up with all sorts of interesting challenges. Like, um, And they're easy to forget. Like in Europe, day, month, year. So if you solve a puzzle that resolves to a day, month, year, uh, to, to, to a date in the US, and, you know, it's more of an old school, you know, mechanic now, but a lot of, you know, used to be a lot of dates showed up and still do in some places dates show up as puzzle solutions. So you'd put, you know, month, day, year in. In Europe, you just have to swap them out, which is not a hard thing to do, but it is a very pronounced cultural divergence. In the UK and in, you know, places that speak British English, what we would refer to as a flashlight is a torch, (laughs) um, which carries some very different connotation to an an, an American English speaker. Uh, Yeah. I, what's the torch? Yeah. <laughs> are we really using fire in here? Yeah. There are, there are, there are lots of little, um, little cultural things. And then the other thing is a lot of these games, 
when you go to a place like Budapest, which is where I ended up going for my second game, Budapest is a interesting country because it's one of the earliest escape room countries. It was kind of the 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 bed of like, like the bed of of like it's where escape rooms came from in Europe. No, basically, no one speaks Hungarian unless you're from Hungary, and it's a very challenging, impenetrable language uh, to learn. But it's also this interesting tourist destination. It's an entry point into Europe for people coming from Australia, for people coming from East Asia. And it's very affordable. So it gets a lot of people from Eastern Europe, places that aren't on the Euro, that can't afford to travel to Western Europe. Hungary yeah. gets a lot of that. And it gets a lot of people traveling from Western Europe and the US and Canada because it's a very affordable place to go. All of this means that the escape room designers there have a weird problem, which is they have to design for a lot of different languages. And the way that they have largely accomplished that is by keeping their games mostly language agnostic. They don't usually use words in their games. It's They'll use some math. They'll use shapes. They'll, if they are using words, they're almost, usually, they're almost always used as a symbol, not as the word itself. If you, hmm. if you understand the word, great. If you don't, it's fine. It's a, it's, it's a symbol. It could also be a triangle. And that has allowed them to have this tourist-fed market where the tourists speak all sorts of different languages. And we were in a we were at a company in in Hungary in uh, in, in Budapest, and a French-speaking group came in, and they were struggling to communicate with the with the the person with the person at the uh, at the counter to find out if they were going to be able to play it and. Um, my wife Lisa speaks reasonably fluent French, and she was just like, "You've uh, you've used uh, you've already used enough English to be able to play this game." And then we lost, <laughs> and then we left. Um, <laughs> so yeah, there there's all sorts of interesting things that happen with cultural um, with, with cultural and, and language challenges. Yeah, um, playing a game in your non English and in your non native language is always a, is always a challenge, especially when they use puns. We've played a bunch of games in French, and we get hung up on the puns. Oh, really? Because like not being a native speaker, you wouldn't realize those or understand those like idioms and whatnot. Yeah, yeah. Um, basically, like one example, um, my, um, but the word for wine and the word for 20 are almost sound almost identical. It's like vet and vet. Um, and um, so, yeah, so that's like one example where like wine was a pun you know, be, being used sort of as a pun for uh, to represent the number 20. Oh, that's really interesting, huh? Like I, we actually saw that twice, once in Montreal and once in uh, and once in France. Didn't get us the second time. <laughs> you were prepped for it. We prepped. Yeah, hey, we've seen this <laughs> trick before. <laughs> yeah, that's an interesting thing, though, is. The crossover, I mean, it's not like anyone's necessarily stealing, you know, one person's or the other. I'm sure they use it as influence for their own, uh, but they're going to twist it into their own. But still that, like, just natural crossover that happens throughout the design. Yeah, I mean, I I doubt that the company in Nice, France, and the company in Montreal ever crossed paths. Yeah. Um, There's a lot of, you know... Again, it's it's like music. There is a finite number of notes and chords and 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 scales and rhythms. Inevitably, with enough people making music, at some point, nothing is truly original. It 
comes down to the way that you start to combine it and the emotion you put into it and the style, you know, the style that you apply to it. That's what makes it yours versus someone else who used a very similar chord progression and very similar rhythm. Right. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I think board games are the same way. Yes. And it's interesting with that, like, it's very rare that something completely new that feels like it changes and revolutionizes the whole industry. I mean, the last thing I can think of really is legacy games. That was that was what was coming to mind for me yeah. was legacy games. But even that is still taking an idea of serialized storytelling that comes from a different place and saying, hey, let's just put this, combine this with an unlikely thing. Exactly. So, you know, I, I get less hung up on, I don't, as especially as a reviewer, but even as, also as a consumer, I'm less concerned about deep originality than I am execution. Yeah. Well, and that makes sense because you're going to so many more escape rooms than even probably most hardcore. Yeah, we don't play the most and we've slowed down over the years. We've switched to, we've adopted a, a, an approach of play the best and play the most interesting. Oh, nice. Uh, because there are, there's a point of diminishing returns on absolutely anything, you know, whether it's your board game collection, video games or, and, and the like, like, you know, you can download everything on steam. doesn't mean you want to play everything. Yeah. <laughs> you can, you can buy every bluffing game, but you know, it doesn't mean that you're, you're, you're still going to probably end up playing sheriff of Nottingham or something. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Stick with the ones that do it. Great. Yeah. Speaking of board games, since this is the board game community show, what are your favorite board games? Uh, favorite board games? Well, I, I mean, I will say this past year, I have been it's like self-medicating with Magic the Gathering. Oh, nice. Uh, yeah, which is a game I, you know, I've, I've been playing since I was, a, you know, a tween. Um, and I drift away from and then come back to you know, every few years. And so I, I, with it, with magic, the gathering arena, I've been playing a lot online and I love that game. That is, I think one of the games that shaped me into the, the, the gamer that I am like program the way that I think and the way I approach playing, playing games and what I like. So I've been playing a ton of that. Ironically, we've played a lot of, um, I love, I love, and before this, I I love Pandemic. I love (laughs) Pandemic, the base game. I love all of the Pandemic Legacy games. We we played uh, Legacy Season Zero with our little Pandemic pod. Um, So it was a Pandemic Pandemic pod. (laughs) Fun. (laughs) Yeah, so we we played that. um, And then we play a lot of tabletop escape rooms because they just show up in our P.O. box and we have to review them. Oh, nice. So we we play them about one. Most most of the time we play them at a rate of one a week and we mounted a camera over a dining room table to to do these things. Yeah. Do them with other friends. (laughs) That's really awesome. Is there a good escape room board game for beginners and for experts that you recommend? Yeah, yeah, there are, there's some really, there's some really good stuff. There's, um, and then I'll, I'll, I'll give you the caveats on that as well. Um, so for beginners, for like a true beginner, especially for families, I would say checking out the Scooby-Doo Escape from the Haunted Mansion, which is a licensed Scooby-Doo game put out by USAopoly. 
it the writing in it is dead on it is just pure scooby fun it's <laughs> silly it's you know it has a couple of puzzles in it that are you know might make you stop and really think but there's not a lot it's not it's not an aggressive puzzly game it's sort of a episode of scooby doo played out over a couple of hours on your tabletop um with you and your friends reading all the character parts I think it's a really good approachable starting place. Similarly, Think Fun uh, put out a game years ago called Mystery at Stargazer's Manor. Really good intro level. Um, similarly, the Escape Room in a Box games, particularly um, the Werewolf Experiment and Flashback. These are these are really good intro intro to the concept. Um, Box One from Neil Patrick Harris and Theory Eleven is a one player tabletop escape that is fantastic cannot recommend it highly enough and um yeah it's we were we were shocked by how good it is and then there's this whole indie scene of um there's companies like dark park games which is a big escape room company one of my favorite escape room companies in uh in the netherlands they have a game called witchery spell that's awesome bit harder there's a company called bluefish games out of arizona they have a whole bunch of different stuff it's all super fun uh if i was just playing tabletop escape rooms purely for fun and i wasn't like in and i wasn't in this weird world where it's also my job (laughs) i would just be playing they put out like a, a monthly newspaper of puzzles i would just play that oh it's so much fun it's it they're just they're just lovely yeah, there's so many. And then there's also the big, kind of the big two, two of the big ones, I think, in the tabletop space are Unlock and Exit the Game. Yeah. Which I find are funny because they both have some good and some terrible games. But I feel like people in the board game community seem to have, like, um, split into, like, rival houses over these where people either think Exit is great and Unlock is trash or oh. Unlock is great and Exit is trash. And I think they're both right and they're both wrong. Both of these companies have put out too much content um, and, and and not spent enough time refining all of their product. But they both have some really good stuff. That makes sense. And I sent you a picture because I went and I was debating between those two because I thought, well, those seem like the staple ones. Mm-hmm. And so I ended up getting Exit, The Sunken Treasure. The Sunken Treasure, which is another one that I highly recommend. Uh, and I think it's a good first. It's also a fan- fantastic first one. Oh, and nice. it's probably the best first Exit the Game to play. It's more linear. It's a little bit, you know, it, it, it's it's tight. The design, I think, is a bit tighter. Yeah. I really love that game. I'm very excited to play it. I, I was trying to get my wife to play it this weekend, but she was like a little too nervous about it. And I think I would have been in that same frame of mind had I not listened to your podcast, because it's just like, you know what, even if you go into an escape room and you lose, you can still have fun. Or like, even if this only if this took us three hours, it's still fun, you know, like. <laughs> yeah. And the thing is with tabletop escape rooms versus physical ones, the physical room, there is a person there who's watching who is going to, if they're doing their job right, they're going to make sure you're having a good time. They're going to jump in with a hint. They're going to, you know, you you have someone who you can go to who can give you contextual help. Yeah. With these tabletop games, it's harder. It's 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 all self-service. You can break your own game. If you go and throw out a component you weren't supposed to throw out, 
you can break the game. You can, you know, if you completely misunderstand, you can jump out of sequence and all of a sudden the game doesn't, you know, just binds up and you can't solve it. There are more challenges to designing and playing a puzzle game that's completely self-administered. So it, it's, it is an interesting design space because of that. And as a reviewer, we harp on the quality of the hint systems pretty aggressively because they they are the thing that hints are there to help you as a player. When you want a hint, it's because you've decided you're no longer having fun and you want the game to start the hints, start the fun again. And oh. Hints are there to provide that. Whether you're talking physical or tabletop, doesn't matter. You're waving the flag and saying, we as a group have stopped enjoying this. We would like to start enjoying it. And so I, I, I caution people to, again, don't think of these games as an intellectual Olympics. Think of them as an adventure you're having a good time with. And when you aren't having a good time, take the damn hint. You know? <laughs> yeah, because that's going to trigger the next chain of like, okay, this is fun again. Exactly. And so even what I, you know, with all of these games that I play, I've played, and we're reasonably talented puzzlers at this point, we will still get stuck. And what I do is I I start to become aware of of, of the the mood in the room. And I will say, you know what? If we don't make any progress in the next two minutes, we're going to take a hint. Now, most of the time when I say that, someone makes a breakthrough and we never take the hint. Oh, nice. But when we don't hit that point, everyone has already had two minutes to um, let their ego accept that we may not be solving this without support. And they've had their chance to do their last ditch effort. And They've had their chance to to kind of work through this, both you know intellectually and emotionally. And then we take the hint; it doesn't sting quite so much, and we all get to start having fun again. That's the point of hints. It's not a surrender. It's not a you know. It's not a loss. You just go and enjoy these games. Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I think ego gets in the way of so many things. Of like, yeah, you could you could let your ego ruin a an experience completely. Yeah. And it's, you know, but when you think about it, like there's, there's a psychological phenomenon called loss aversion. Have you ever heard of this? Uh, -uh. loss aversion is a, it's, it's, it's been repeated in a lot of different experiments over the years, but basically it's the idea that a loss hurts more than a win feels good. Oh, right. Yeah. And so, the way that this has been experimented with is like you had, uh, I think the earliest experiment with it was around a, a coin toss game where basically it was like you were betting, you were betting $10 on a coin toss. How much would you have to win before you'd be willing to bet on that coin toss? And it is usually around $20, $25 is what people want the upside to be versus the downside of losing $10. And I think you see that a lot in, in tabletop games. I know I've switched to playing a lot of collaborative games with my friends because I'm a good gamer and I got really tired and I felt like my friends stopped also were getting tired of being invited over to our home so that I could wreck them in a game, give them dinner and send them on their way. <laughs> and You monster. <laughs> right. Or, or this like weird thing where I'm like, am I going to hold back? Am I going to like, am I going to go and throttle the, you know, throttle my funds so that they can, you know, to maximize theirs. Like these are, these are all of the things that like, I think a lot of serious board gamers go through. Yeah. So I just switched to collaborative games or, or, or games where it was every, you know, where 
like I, I love playing Mysterium with guests because everyone gets nervous about being the ghost. I'm like, I'm happy to be the ghost. If the team, if people win or lose, it's because it's because I did a good job or I did a bad job. It's not your fault. It's my fault. Yeah. And so I, uh, you know, it allows me to take on a harder role that I, you know, then, 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 and, and I, and I enjoy that. I derive enjoyment out of that while I also am able to set up a, a, an environment where my guests are able to just enjoy a game. I love that. That is so, yeah, I think that's the perfect attitude. And then, and then I go on to Magic the Gathering Arena and <laughs> I savagely destroy strangers on the internet because I can do that without remorse. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> Are you very, very good at? I'm 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 reasonably good. I I don't have I don't I've not put enough money or and I in, into the system and I don't and, and I don't play. I, I I don't allow myself to get completely sucked into into it the way that I would have as a teenager. Okay. But yeah, I I I can if I if I wanted to really apply myself, I think I don't think I'm world class, but I could become very good. At this point, I play more casually um and I like to play creative decks that when they work really well they do ridiculous things yeah and when they when i when they don't work i get blown out and i'm fine with that it's fascinating how much magic the gathering can turn into like an engine building game exactly i've had the same kind of conversation with somebody who did the same thing with pokemon where it was like i could if i get this pokemon then i can trigger this which will trigger this which will trigger this and i'm like wow like yeah, and and it's been a long time since I've played. You know, I haven't played Pokemon since the late nineties. Same. But if, if, if memory if memory serves, that game was balanced less. Where there, yes. like, once you got ahead, you kind of um, everything kind of snowballed. Magic can be, you know, if you play, if you play, you, you there's there are ways to play aggressive, and there are plays ways to play more controlling, and the controlling decks tend to seem like they're falling behind early on until all of the pieces are in place. And then all of a sudden, you know, you shut down everything for your opponent and now they get to have no more fun and you get to have all of the fun and then they quit. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And so it's, you know, there are, there are all sorts of different ways to play. um, And, and, and it's, I, I like games like that, that allow you to really be expressive um, and have a pronounced playstyle. Yeah, it's fascinating how different playstyles can be. With I mean, it's not the same deck of cards either. Like there are no, no. I mean, and, and magic thousands. It, magic is mathematically the most complex game ever ever created. Um, like mathematically proven to be, and it's not even close. Just the sheer volume of cards and the way that the the archetypes are all crammed together. It's like there's like you know, 10 or 20 different games that are crushed together into one. Sometimes the balancing gets broken by that and they have to ban stuff or they, the, the, the competitive formats start to warp around uh, particular play styles because the dominant strategy is too strong. And you kind of either have to, you're either forced to play that style or you're forced to play the style that counters that style, which is when magic can sometimes get a little stale. The last time I played Magic was shortly before I got married. My brother and his friend were playing a game and they were like, hey, we've got this pre-made deck. Why don't you come play it? And I'm like, I haven't played in years, but okay. (laughs) So I played and I absolutely trashed both of them. 
and I was I just bowed out and I just said, "All right, I retire. I retire on top as champion. Bye." But okay, bye. <laughs> it was fun, and I could totally see myself falling right back into it if I if I let myself. Luckily, my wife doesn't quite let me <laughs> all the way out. Yeah, and for for me, like I don't want stacks of cardboard all over the place. I don't want to be yeah. sorting cards. I don't want to have to worry about the humidity of the room I'm keeping them in. And I do still have some of my old cards that are, you know, some of them are, are reasonably valuable. Mm-hmm. Like I do ha- still have that, but I just don't want to be organizing all that. So I, I really like the, the, the mostly th- free to play model of playing online, not having to organize my cards. I can just drag and drop decks together. You know, I can go and go onto a website, download the basis of of a deck that, you know, I saw on YouTube and liked, and then I can go and augment that for myself. It's just, it's faster. It's less stress. I can drop in, play, you know, if I get out of a meeting 20 minutes early, I can drop in, play a game or two, close out, and that's it. I don't have to go and find anyone to play with. I, you know, just, I enjoy that. Yeah. Uh, I totally understand that. (laughs) Let's venture outside of gaming altogether. What kind of things do you enjoy doing outside of what we've already talked about? Oh gosh, um, I I like I just like creating stuff. I I like to um, I I like to I like to build things. I like to build communities, and so all of everything I like to do sort of ends up getting pulled into the gravitational force of of the room escape artist business. We, my wife and I, we like to, we like to cook meals and have people over. So we'll have people over and cook a meal themed on the game we're playing. Oh, that's awesome! Could you give us some examples? Yeah. So have you ever played the tabletop game Bonanza? Uh, no, but I'm somewhat familiar. Highly recommend. It is a ridiculous game that is about bean farming, and it's <laughs> this game that um, every time we ever ask anyone to play it they're always like eh, i don't want to play a game about bean farming why, like why are we why are we doing this why are you making us do this and then like 10 minutes later they're all screaming at each other across the table about trading their beans and people <laughs> like it, this game is I, I think it's one of the finest tabletop games ever made i love this game so much but yeah we we hosted like the banana bean extravaganza where literally everything that we served had to originate from a bean. Wow. And that, that took all sorts of forms from chocolate to coffee to chili to, you know, it was, it was all over the place. Um, That's we had tons of beans. My, my personal favorite, although it was the, uh, the least popular of the ones we've hosted oh, no. was our, um, not a lot of people showed up to this one. We did a pandemic one where all of the food that we served was associated with foodborne illness. Oh, no. <laughs> no one got sick. We did it safely. Um, but, like, we had, yeah, we, so we had, that, was, that was a good time. <laughs> um, like slimy chicken or something? No, 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 no. It wasn't like we were serving, like, rare chicken. But we, we did, like, sushi. We did deviled eggs. We... Um, we did we did serve raw cookie dough as as dessert. Oh, nice. that was that was the most extreme that we went. <laughs> that is incredible. <laughs> I love it so much. Yeah. So we we, we those those are some some examples. Some games get harder than others to to do that around, and and then it also got weird as we started buying board games around whether we thought we could effectively theme a meal around it. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, I love it. Yeah, we we like to we like to host. We like to to to, to create gatherings of of, of people, and uh, and so that's why we run a we run a, an escape room convention, the Reality Escape Convention. Yeah, a lot. Of, like when I say that escape rooms ate our and this whole thing ate our lives, I, I genuinely mean that because everything that we like to do, we just kind of like we it, it all start like all the things we started to do kind of became subsets of the stuff we were doing for this escape room community, uh, which is weird but you know no. consummate nerds yeah just makes sense <laughs> go, yeah was lisa pretty nerdy before she met you yes but in a in very very weird ways um even among nerds like she doesn't really watch television she doesn't really play video games um she was playing a lot of board games before we met and i think part of um the appeal of me was that her board game friends had just moved away and I had a reasonable board game collection uh, when I met her and she was just thinking about whether she was going to go out and buy all of these games for herself. Oh, nice. Uh, and start to find <laughs> a new group. So she she was, you know, she was big into tabletop gaming. She, before this, she had gone through different phases where she was, she was super into Ultimate Frisbee um, and still is really, really good at Ultimate Frisbee. Before that, she was a competitive gymnast for most of her life and um, incredibly, incredibly nerdy about gymnastics and like, you know, just constantly like just, you know, she had every, like every Olympic gymnast, gymnastics competition dating back to like 92 recorded and was, uh, you know, would just like grew up. That was the TV she watched, just kept watching recordings of like the Barcelona Olympics that is really, really cool. And I like that you, a lot of people think nerding out, that was my other podcast, which I, the whole idea behind that was like, it doesn't have to be something that people think of as nerd culture. Like you can nerd out about football. You can nerd out about gymnastics, you know, like you can nerd out about anything you want. Exactly. So you totally get that. And that's, you know, for, for me, anything is interesting if you look deep enough into it. Like, exactly. It literally, like, and this is why I get lost in Wikipedia. But like, everything has a crazy history of like, wow, I can't believe that happened. You just have to dig a little bit deeper. Like, like the strongly recommend looking into the history of chlorinated, like, like chlorinated and sterilized water supplies. The history of that is completely nuts. Huh? That already <laughs> sounds fascinating to me. Yeah, that's funny. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. Like. Listening to your show, I had some interest in escape rooms. Never heard survive. Or I think I watched episodes here and there, like when I was on break at work. And you're, oh, I guess we didn't mention that, but your co-host. My co-host is PG Law, who's a two-time Survivor player. She's a bit of a Survivor legend um, and also loves escape rooms. And we met mutually on a podcast just kind of hit it off. We've still never met in person, but now we host co-host a podcast together. <laughs> Isn't that so incredible? The world we live in, we can just connect dig- uh, digitally. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it's, it's been wild. We were supposed to meet in March of 2020 and oh. <laughs> uh, you can guess why that didn't happen. Skyrocketing plane prices. Uh, oh yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's yeah, and you guys are opposite coasts too. Right? Yeah, she's yeah. West we're we're, we're in New Jersey. She she's in uh, in in L A. And um, you know, so we 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 start. We got to know each other through through playing virtual escape rooms, and um, she 
hosted the Q&As at the virtual reality escape convention that we hosted last August. We're going to be hosting another one uh, this August, and it is pay what you want to enter. So if you're interested in learning about escape rooms, that's a whole thing there. And I think there's a lot to learn that can cross-pollinate with tabletop game design. Absolutely. But yeah, so she she was hosting the Q&A there and she brings a very different energy than I bring and Lisa would bring. And Lisa didn't want to host a podcast and we both felt like we bring this very analytical, grounded approach to stuff. And PG is like so much brings so much more energy and that was like that was the, the dynamic that i i was really i was really excited about playing with that di- that dynamic yeah and i love that dynamic it comes through so well in there you guys balance each other so well i mean we'll plug it again at the end of the show but reality escape pod is thank you. such a good podcast like thank you so much that's it it was it was just this weird labor of love that we figured, you know, let's try it. It might flop. No one may, no one may like this. And then, you know, we, we tried, Yeah, but we, we had this kind of weird vision and, and I, I'm feeling really good about how it's coming along and I'm, and I'm hoping season two brings, brings even more. Yeah. I have a request. Yes. If, or when it's going to happen eventually, when you and PG meet in person, I want it to be filmed. Like, Okay. Will someone please film it happening like, you know, before, maybe on both sides even, like the before the meeting, you know, walking up being like, oh my gosh, like we're about to meet in person. I don't know how this is going to go or whatever. And then you guys see each other and hug or high five or whatever it we, is. I don't know. Like we I should definitely do that. Yeah. I'm it's, so interested in seeing how this it, comes together because you guys know each other. The funny thing is I... I feel like we've met before. Every time I go and say we haven't actually met, like I, I feel like that's a lie. <laughs> so yeah, it's weird. I, I just like at this point, you know, over the course of a year, have gone from like it's really you know a year ago it was like it's really weird that I have PG Law's phone number and I'm texting with her. Like this is just like this is a character from my te- my television. It's like yeah yeah. It's it's like it's like oh I had like John Snow's phone number and I'm I'm texting with John Snow <laughs> like that's like that's because we were also Lisa and I we were watching Survivor throughout the pandemic it was it's one of the few shows that I've actually gotten Lisa into and we were really dealing with a lot of decision fatigue through pandemic and we needed a way to unwind that required no thought and. It was great because there's just always another season. There's 40 seasons and we just were we basically were just about finished with them. And now we're going to start the international seasons. Oh, wow. But yeah, it went it went from like, yeah, this is just a person who was like th- th- on my TV to now this is someone I'm texting. And that was weird. And then over the course of a few months, we started playing werewolf over Slack together with a whole bunch of other people, some of them survivor players. You know, we just started playing games and things together and it was it, and and over time just became friends. That is so cool. Just yeah, so wild. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we were talking about season two briefly. I'm very excited for it to come out. Is there any teases that you can give us? Yeah, I think I can I think I can tease something. <laughs> so I mentioned I mentioned earlier box one from Theory Eleven and this chap named Neil Patrick Harris. Um, he was a fan of reality escape pod season one and posted a comment saying as much 
on our Instagram post announcing the the season finale Whoa. a few weeks ago. And so um, we, as calmly as we possibly could, <laughs> sent him an invite to <laughs> see if he wanted to come on. And uh, he, he, he graciously accepted. Oh and um, we recorded three hours with, with NPH. And he's lovely, very enthusiastic, very fun. And um, yeah, we, I think we made him slightly late to pick his children up from school. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> but that is so awesome. That is incredible. Are you like best yeah. friends now? Oh uh, yeah, BF, BFFs. No, I mean, he, he's he's really cool. I, we're, I do hope that we get to play a, at least a virtual escape room or something with him at some point in the future. But um, oh, cool. Yeah, he's he really is a a a a, 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 a very gracious guest uh, and very generous with his time. And we knew he was aware of us because he's a huge escape room fan. Uh-huh. This past uh, December, we put out a holiday gift guide for just escape room nerdery and just things that we think people who like escape rooms might enjoy. And the things are all over the place. Yeah. I looked through them and a lot of them intrigued me and I haven't done an escape room yet. Yeah. We just, I mean, it's mostly just stuff for nerds. Yeah. And, um, he shared that as his link off of his Instagram profile for the entire month of December, which like blew my mind. And so we knew he was aware of us. We knew he was at least on some level paying attention. But yeah, when he left that comment, we were like, all right, well, let's let's roll that dice. Let's see if he, you know, let's see if we can, you know, did, did, did we get the natural 20? <laughs> Turns out we did. <laughs> oh, my goodness. That is so cool. Did you yeah. just message him on Instagram? We had exchanged a couple of emails with him in the past. Oh, okay. Um, very, you know, like we, we've always always tried to be just very respectful and very like not not asking and you know anything. Yeah. Um. But we we're friends with Danny and Bill who have escaped this podcast, which is in a, a sort of a D and D as escape room uh podcast that's brilliant. And he also um is has been a huge fan of theirs. And a few years ago, sent them a message saying, "Hey, I love your podcast. Can I play?" And so. They had introduced us to to him over email a while back, and there so there was there had been some com- prior communication, but nothing like nothing major. Yeah, we were just trying to be incredibly respectful of him and the fact that we had even had his email, and we didn't want to like we never wanted to come across as abusing that in any way. Yeah, so we were never asking like really asking anything until he had ma- initiated that. I think otherwise we had used the email to send him. Uh, thank you at the end of at the end of December once you know for for having put our holiday gift guide up there like that was it we like we we were trying to be very very careful with that that is just incredible and wild have you edited the episode yet we're editing it right now um we also brought on an editor for season two so I don't kill myself because our podcast is heavily edited yeah very well edited so bravo Thank you. I was learning as I went. So the early episodes had a lot more like some like rough cuts, some clipped words because I didn't know what I was doing. And I still and by the end, I still didn't know what I was doing, but I was a little bit better at it. (laughs) I thought you did a great job. And sometimes they were like somewhat obvious. Like I think there were ones where PG would come in and ask a question like, hey, will you explain this? Those are actually not edited in. Those really? are those are those happen organically. Oh my gosh. That's that's actually that's that's a hundred percent genuine 
I'm an absent-minded professor, and part of PG's role on the podcast is to make sure that terms are defined and that humans who aren't in immersed in all of this can understand what we're talking about. And so part of her role in the podcast, which sort of happened organically and by her own creation, was to jump in and be like, hey, no one has a freaking clue what you're talking about. (laughs) Yeah. I'm very grateful for her. <laughs> so let's let's just let's just re- rewind that a little bit and you know talk about what a LARP is. Yeah, <laughs> like for me as a listener, I was like, okay, and as someone who edits their podcast, uh, I was like, okay, they probably talked about this for ten minutes and then we're like, oh, we didn't explain what this is, so let's add that in. No, no, that is no. incredible. Bravo, PG. Part of part of PG's like approach to life and just way of being is she's just like just like charges straight ahead on whatever whatever is like in front of her and whatever is on her mind she's just like i don't know what that is or i don't think people are going to know what that is i'm stopping you right now we're talking about what it is before you continue with this that is incredible yeah early on i was uh, when i was editing i was like should i try to change this and make this more of like an artful like cut in i'm like no this is part of the adventure we're on. <laughs> I love it then. That's great. Then I don't really know what you're editing in and out because it's, I think you did an awesome job. We tend to record about an hour and 20 to an hour and 40 minutes with our guests. And then we tend to cut it down to about 45, 50 and keep keeping just the best of the points. And we'll ask people sometimes, you know, some guests will ask, you know, depending upon the guest. Sometimes we'll ask the same question phrased a couple of different ways, especially if it's a guest who is a little less comfortable speaking. Some people get it better their first time they're asked. Some people get it better the second time. And we ask questions in slightly different ways. So that makes sense. we take we, we get the best take. We make, you know, take the best version of it. Sometimes the ordering of things gets shuffled around a little bit. Um, we take out all of the ums and the likes and the repetitive stuff that people say right that's that's the stuff that we clean up mostly as i said lisa doesn't really listen to podcasts doesn't really watch a lot of tv i need my mission was to make a podcast she would enjoy listening to oh that's awesome and that meant keeping the pacing up and keeping trying to make sure that at any given moment something truly interesting was being said yeah and you do an awesome job at it like I feel like it's very well paced. I have no idea how to do that, but like my show is completely reliant on guests as well. And, and it's, yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's always, it's guest roulette. Even when you get someone who, you know, is a really interesting person, though, sometimes they get a bit of stage fright. Sometimes Mm -hmm. they, it turns out they're really good at communicating with people who know what they're talking about, but not so good at communicating in a way that people who don't will appreciate. Yeah, totally. And so that's the stuff we try to account for it. And some, you know, some episodes more effectively than others. And sometimes it's just a conversation that completely goes off the rails. And we're like, you know what, this didn't accomplish what we wanted it to accomplish, or it wasn't that interesting. Some of our guests aren't from the, you know, aren't native English speakers. So I have to ask a question and they're like, no, you know, their answer is just like, no. And I'm like, wait, I was curious about that with your second to last guest. Yeah. Um, and, and Chris Latner, he's, I mean, he's, his English is way better than my German, but yeah, like he's, he's freaking brilliant. He's one of the smartest guys I've, I've ever spoken to, but yeah, there were times where we like, I, you know, we asked a question and the way we phrased it didn't land. He didn't get the meaning of the question, which is not his failure. That's ours. Uh-huh. So, you know, we, 
re, uh, reframed and rephrased the question and you don't have to hear the point where he's like this is a dumb question <laughs> <laughs> well and i don't think it's necessarily like your failure either yeah. it's just that barrier yeah but like figuring it out my background is in communication and that's you know so i spend a lot of time thinking about communication model you know you have this this message you want to send it's not sent until the receiver gets it and interprets it more or less the way you intended them to, which is actually a complicated process. Definitely. That's the, 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 the puzzle and the challenge that I love about blogging, about making talks, about making podcasts is we always go into any given thing with a, there's a thesis behind what we're trying to do. And maybe it's overt and maybe it's not. Um, but the question is like, how can we communicate what's special about this guest through the podcast? Yeah. You know, the guest or, or, or their approach. And sometimes, you know, sometimes it's a little bit of both. You put a lot of research into yours, I can tell. And I do some research in mine, but I try and come up with like three to five questions. And sometimes we cover them and sometimes we don't. And I just try to let it go like as naturally as possible, which all of yours is natu- feels natural as well. Yeah. And I, I like the, I really, I really love your podcast. And that's why like we, when we started tweeting with one another, I was like, I really, I just enjoy the conversational format that you have. Um, oh, and I, you. and I do think you, ed- you edit it nicely. It's not like it, oh, it's not like heavily produced, but I think you do a nice job with it. And that's why that's, that's, you know, I enjoy listening to it and you bring on guests who like, I've never heard of. And I'm like, Oh, faction fighters. That seems cool. That's, you know, oh, nice. that would be a nice way <laughs> for me to, intru- you know, maybe introduce someone to, you know, tabletop card gaming and, and, you know, similar to magic without having to teach them a game that has infinite depth. Yeah. <laughs> you know, cause that's, that's challenging. Uh, and so I'm always looking for that kind of thing. The game I can teach to someone in five minutes versus the game that, you know, I'm still learning how to play. Yeah. <laughs> After yeah, 20 exactly. something years. <laughs> uh, like that's, yeah. that's, I, I, I like I, I like that, and I really I, I really have enjoyed listening to the guests that you bring on because of that. And they all come from different different places and different perspectives, and that's the thing that excites me. Oh, thank you. I, I'm curious, how long do you think you'll try and edit down the Neil Patrick Harris episode to 45 minutes? Or we have edited. It, it's probably going to be a little bit longer. I think that episode is going to be a little bit longer. For one thing, he's a very polished speaker, so there's just less to cut than we would from your mm-hmm. typical guest. Also, we just cover a lot of ground. And my impression was that like, this is stuff he loves talking about and he loves getting into. Uh, and most of the interviews, you know, any other interviewer who's ever interviewed him from celebrity media is like never going to get into the weeds about escape rooms or the game he designed with, with him. So it's like, it felt to us like it was just as much a treat for him to be talking about this stuff as it was for us to be talking with him about it. And so uh, yeah. that episode will probably be a bit longer. Cool. I mean, I would take the whole unabridged version, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, it's, you know, some of it is just like the stuff, most of the stuff that we cut is just stuff that like, I don't think anyone actually wants to hear. And so that stuff, you know, definitely is going. This one will be probably a little less tightly edited just because of the nature of the episode. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. But yeah, we have other, you know, we have some other people coming on. We have the creator of, of one of my favorite virtual escape games is coming on this season. We have Nick Moran, who is one of my very favorite escape room creators. He's from uh, he's from the UK. 
Um, I, hmm. I think he's just one of the smartest people in the business. So he's coming on. We have a professional gamer, uh, video gamer coming on, which is going to be a unusual episode where we explore, we explore ideas through the lens of both escape rooms and professional gaming. Uh, I think it's, I think it was, it was definitely our most experimental attempt at an episode. And I think it's, I think it's going to be a really good, really interesting episode. Yeah, that sounds really interesting. It seems like a very different type of guest in a different mind. Yeah, I do a lot of background research. I really stalk my my the people I'm interviewing. I try and follow every thread I can possibly find, listen to every interview they've ever given, which in the case of Neil Patrick Harris was <laughs> a little bit more impossible than... Um, but yeah, I was still able to do a, an awful lot of background research. And yeah, that is incredible. And so that's, you know, I, tr- I try to dig into what makes this human special and what perspective do they have that me and PG won't have and that any other guest we have won't have. Yeah. And I think you capture that very well. Mad props to both of you because that takes the research and crafting a question, right? To bring out that unique perspective sometimes. Thank you. That's the, that's the stuff that excites me. Uh, as I said, like anything is interesting if you dig deep enough into it. And that's, I feel that's true about people as well. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Lisa, she produces your show, right? Yeah. Lisa is one of the producers on the, we, have, we, we now have, it, it's largely produced by Lisa and myself. Lisa is organizationally brilliant. She runs a, department at her regular job she more or less runs a few different teams amounting to about 30 people for room escape artists between our various types of reviewers and the podcast and the convention team she is she has a talent for organizing and communicating goals and needs to people and keeping things running smoothly that i do not have i am I am a lot more chaotic as you, as you <laughs> learned communicating directly with me to schedule with me. If you were communicating directly with Lisa, that would have been resolved in like minutes, but she's, <laughs> she is way more effective at this stuff. And so that was, she jumped in when she saw that PG and I were both kind of, you know, flopping about <laughs> and she was like, I am going to, I think you guys need help. Do you need help? And we were like, yes. And she's like, you may hate me for the help I'm going to give. And we were like, no, we will not. Please help us. Uh, and that's, that is, you know, she, she brings a, 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 a management structure that we really badly need. And I think everybody needs a Lisa. And if you don't need a Lisa, then you need, then you're organized like her and you need someone to bring some chaos. That balance works really well. And that's, that makes total sense. I didn't think about that, but like, it, and it worked out for us because I was, w- I had way too much of a backlog. So recording now is way better than if we recorded when we first started talking. Yeah. And in the middle of that, we had a, we had a calamity with our house. We had a pipe burst that just kind of threw uh, off everything in my life. Of course. And now we just have missing drywall. <laughs> oh, and that's fine though, yeah. right? <laughs> it's fine. I mean, you know. Everything is functionally working. <laughs> we'll, we'll get the rest. We'll get the rest of it fixed up in time. 
Yeah, that's the interesting thing about homeowner. Do you own a home? Yeah, we we bought a home uh, about three years ago, and okay. uh, very glad we did. But yeah, before we were doing the kind of northern New Jersey, New York kind of renting thing, and uh, I'm I'm glad for this past year we were able to be free range, oh, quarantiners yeah. in our in our yeah. home. <laughs> that's huge. So. I was surprised because I knew you were from New York and you said you had a car. But now I know New Jersey, yeah. so you would need a car. We, we've actually the entire I've never actually lived in Manhattan. We've we both have lived in northern New Jersey um, oh, okay. since before we met. Um, but I, I have this policy of if you are from the area, I'll tell you where I where I live. If you're from outside the area, I just tell you New York City. And if you're curious, you'll you know, you'll say, oh, I'm from I, I, you know, I used to live around there. Where are you? And they'll say, oh, actually, in New Jersey. Yeah. But yeah, we're. So yeah, that's that's we're 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 Jersey dwellers. Can we hear your Jersey accent? I don't have a Jersey accent, <laughs> and neither does Lisa. She is from outside of Boston, and I am from a little bit north of New York City. Um, okay. So yeah, we don't have uh, we don't have Jersey accents, but yeah. So, it's a shame. so sorry to disappoint. <laughs> My no, it's okay. <laughs> a comedian friend of mine is from Jersey here in Utah, and mm-hmm. and I just love when he goes on stage and puts on that, like he like thickens up his Jersey mm-hmm. accent and <laughs> really plays to it. Yeah. I mean, I can, you know, I can do my, my, my bad impression of my neighbor who, you know, Hey, hey David, I, th- I think there's cracks in your retaining wall. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Thank you for that treat. Uh, he's, he's in my phone listed as my neighbor, Vinny. Oh, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Are we still doing the um, dream up a, a crazy tabletop game idea? Do you want to? I haven't done it for this series, but I've been oh. thinking about doing it. Have you thought of one? Oh, I, I thought of one. Okay, I, me... I was laying. I was laying awake at night trying to last night trying to trying to think of one. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited because I. I've been debating doing that for this, but I'm just like, ah. Oh, no, I, I love it. I, 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 when, as soon as I first heard you doing that, I was like, I, I adore this idea. Okay. So I'll introduce it real quick. For people who don't know, on Nerding Out, my other podcast that's on the, the back burner right now while Danny deals with having a new kid, we play Ridiculous Theme, and you just come up with a ridiculous theme for a board game. Ridiculous Theme for a board game. All right, this is going to tie into some of the things I've alluded to over the course of the interview. Um, <laughs> You've left teasers. It's um, <laughs> it's not a brand new concept. I'm going to go and make a new version of Betrayal at the House on the Hill because they've made too many versions of that game. And <laughs> instead of going back and rebalancing the original one, it's just called Betrayal at the House. And... The house isn't haunted or anything. You just bought a house, and over the course of the game, things just break. <laughs> That's it. You have to you have to deal with it. That sounds like <laughs> home ownership right there. That's just like yeah. normal home. It, there you go. Just just betrayal at the house. Betrayal at the house. <laughs> betrayal by the house. Or <laughs> yeah, betrayal by the house. There we go. No. Oh, I love it. I thought you were gonna go with like you have roommates and they won't do their dishes or like, you know, different scenarios come up there, but I like that better. Oh gosh. I mean, Lisa (laughs) could do Lisa when we first met, she had a nightmare roommate who almost set fire to the place multiple (gasps) times and ultimately uh, ended up flooding the place. 
Oh my gosh. Yeah. That's a yeah. That's awesome that, that she has that story though. <laughs> yep. Yeah, she 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 kept a journal of all of it, partially oh. as evidence and partially is cuz she was genuinely worried that something was going to happen that might require evidence of uh, like a log of what had happened. Oh uh, and goodness. partially because she cuz all of her friends were constantly wanting to hear the latest and craziest stories and the stories were bonkers. Um, but Lisa ended up moving out because things started to feel a little bit too dangerous. And once Lisa moved out, no one was removing hair from the drain. And this roommate would get hammered, turn on the shower, and then pass out somewhere in the place. And uh, this happened after Lisa moved out. The hair was clogging the drain. She passed out and uh, woke up when, it, my understanding is woke up naked with a firefighter climbing in through her window. <gasps> Because she lived on the top floor and was flooding all of the units below. Oh my goodness, that is yep. wild. Yeah. So there's there's your, there's there's your theme for a crazy roommate game. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say that sounds like it could be like a good mini series of of a podcast. She could just like read her journal and tell the story of all these wild things. She has toyed with turning those journals, journal entries into like a one-woman show for years. Oh my goodness, that would be incredible. I, I, I still want her to do it. I think it'd be great. Well, I'm on board. I, I support the idea. <laughs> <laughs> Going back to your ridiculous theme, though, uh, we bought this house in December. Two days after we moved in, a pipe burst. That's exciting, so, isn't it? Yeah, and I was just like, <laughs> this is home ownership. And they, I guess the year that, just the year that our house was built, they used this really popular at the time, popular just for that year pipe that they thought was going to revolutionize things. Turns out it's super fragile uh, after so long. Experimental design is great in board games and not so great <laughs> in home ownership. Exactly. And so... Turns out we're going to need to replace that whole line and it goes into cement. And so in order to replace even a chunk of it, we would need to go like four or five inches into the cement, but breaking that far down into the cement will break the pipe and then we'll have to go another four or five. So we just have to replace the whole thing. I have, I have been there. I, um, <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty sure I put my plumber's child through at least a year of college. Oh, hey, nice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's very supportive of you. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, uh... <laughs> we decided to just install a cold water, because it's just the cold water pipe, a shutoff valve for just the kitchen. So we have to go into our utility room and turn on the cold water when we want it and then turn it off when we're not using it. That's smart. <laughs> I mean, it's... Eh, it's works, I guess. Uh, look, you know what you 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 build the simplest solution that you, you know that fits within the budget, and then yeah. scale up from there. That's exactly it. Just moving into a house, it's like okay, this is going to cost us quite a bit to replace everything. Yeah, yeah. Fortunately, <sighs> fortunately, we do love our home, but it is it is constantly betraying us. Yeah. So, who, <laughs> wi- how do you win? Uh, how Just do you win? There, there is no winning. Okay. Yeah. 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 <laughs> you win when you're bankrupt and you have to move into your parents' basement. There you go. That's it. <laughs> That's the end. <laughs> uh, that is, I love that idea. 
Yeah, the fun part about crazy theme is that you don't actually have to make a functional game. So I'm, I know, I'm, right? I'm, I'm tossing out the the worst the worst idea. I just... <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. Well, thank you. I'm glad you brought that back. I'm gonna. Oh. Start putting that into these episodes. I think I, I loved it. I thought it was I, th- I thought it was just a brilliant segment. And I, and I keep toying with. We have a segment at the end of our show where we ask our guests to um, tell a story of ridiculous escape room glory or, yeah. or silliness. Um, but um, I I I love I love your I love your segment as well. And I, I I'm, I'm yes, yeah, so I'm really excited by it. I love yours. The uh, yeah. I love that because you didn't have that at the very beginning. That was something that came in like three episodes in or something, it, right? It came in in uh, yeah. It was technically episode three. It was episode two because we put out an episode zero because we were stupid. Um, <laughs> it's a <laughs> irrelevant detail that just caused more chaos than it was worth. Yeah, we thought we were being cute, but. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so the episode with Miles Nye, we were who who's a puzzle designer, game designer, and uh, survivor challenge consultant. And at the end of the, we were done recording, and he was like, "Hey, can I tell you about a time I played in the escape room with Stephen Fishback, who's also another two-time Survivor player, and uh, he's a big Survivor podcaster and another kind of legend in that space." He's like, "I want to tell you a story about the time I I played in the escape room with Stephen Fishback, and you can just put it at the end after the credits. It'll be great." And um, we were like, sure, Miles, we're not going to stop you from telling us a story about you playing in the escape room with Stephen Fishback. And so <laughs> he um, he told us this and I did exactly what he said. And I was like, I really like this. Um, but then it wasn't in the next two or three episodes because we'd already recorded them. And we hadn't, uh, you know, before we had started editing and I had realized that this was actually a really good idea. So it, it jumped back in later in the season. I was going to say, I felt like there was a gap where it wasn't yeah. there. So I love that the nat- the organic evolution of the podcast, essentially. Yeah, and and it's just going to keep organically evolving. Like, I, I like our intro. I haven't loved our outro. I, I don't have a sign-off that I'm really thrilled with. It'll come in time. And that was <laughs> just like, you know what? I'm going to surrender my desire to be a perfectionist, get it rolling, and let some of these answers emerge over time. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. This has been delightful. It's been nice to actually meet and talk with you. Yeah, absolutely. After listening to hours and hours of you talk. And Likewise. <laughs> Why don't you plug the convention, where people can find you, the podcast, your website. You have so much to plug. plug I, I, got, I got stuff I can plug. Yeah, so you can find us at roomescapeartist.com. That's kind of the hub for everything. Um, but you can also look up the podcast is Reality Escape Pod. You get it wherever you get your podcasts. And our convention is August 22nd and 23rd. It is fully digital this year because we are not big gamblers. <laughs> and um, it's we have a pay what you want model for the base ticket, which includes all of the talks and a ton of content. It's two days of just gaming, game design nerdery for players, for creators, for in the escape room industry, for out from outside the escape room industry. It's called the Reality Escape Convention. You can find it at realityescapecon.com. And it really is designed as a place to cross-pollinate. We had so many people show up last year, and it was just kind of a magical experience. We It blew away our expectations. The community is so lovely. Uh, so love to have you join that. 
And um, yeah, that's that's all of our madness. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Everyone, go listen to the podcast. Go look at their stuff. They are incredible. David especially. So thank you. Hey, thanks so much for listening. Real quick, don't leave yet. Don't shut it down because David is going to share a funny experience that he had in an escape room. And it's great. So that'll be right after I finish talking here. Season two of Reality Escape Pod should be starting June 14th. So you have time to go and listen to season one. It is really great. Even if you're not into escape rooms or the like, they still have awesome guests that are entertaining to listen to. And some of them are even board game related. Some are designers. Back on episode five, I had Mike Tanner on, who is just a wonderful human being. He started a podcast called That's Barely a Game, in which he talks to kind of new and upcoming board game designers and just asks them a lot of questions, kind of gives them a moment to shine. So this week, I was on it. So you can go listen to that wherever you listen to podcasts. Just search That's Barely a Game. It was a little weird for me because normally I'm used to asking questions and getting to sit back and just listen to the answers and and ask follow-up questions. So you get to hear me ramble. It was a lot of fun. Thanks, Mike, for having me on there. You can follow me at NerdOutWithUs on Twitter. If there's somebody that you'd like to hear on the show, let me know. You can DM me or at me, whatever, and I will reach out to them no matter how big or small. If it's you, even easier, because then I can just say, hey, yeah, let's set up a time. If you're enjoying the show, please leave a review. I would love to hear what you guys have to say about the show. Or if you have some feedback, you can also DM me or at me and let me know. I write reviews for all of the shows I listen to, especially if it's like a smaller one or a newer one, just to show my appreciation. So... I do listen to Reality Escape Pod, and I wrote a review, and I will read it to you now. Lucky you. This is a very fun podcast to listen to. I've always been interested in doing escape rooms, but never have. David and PG are such an entertaining duo that even if you had zero interest in escape rooms, you'd still enjoy listening to them. I mean that. Five stars. It's so good. Go listen to them. And... Leave reviews to podcasts you listen to, not just mine, any of them, because they really would appreciate it. I know I would. Yay! Well, thank you again for listening, and until next week, keep nerding out. David, drop a story. Years back, Ford was running a Ford Escape escape room in Manhattan where you went to a giant like warehouse type facility and they had Ford escapes all over the place. And they had built all of these different sets that you were supposed to drive to. And in some cases, use the features and amenities of the car to solve these puzzles. And it was a free thing available over the course of like a weekend in New York, huge budget. We scheduled an appointment for Lisa and I to go and play this thing. And we show up, and uh, as we hit the checkout, uh, the check-in booth, there were these two women just standing there looking very forlorn. We go to check-in, 
and they say uh, they, they say to us, these two women don't have driver's licenses. Can they join your team? And we were like, sure. Aside, New York City is literally the dumbest place in the United States to host a SUV themed brand activation because like half the city doesn't, more than half the city doesn't have a driver's license. It's not a driving city. Why you would ever do this? This should have been in LA. Doesn't matter. So <laughs> this, one of these women walks up to me and like very creepily puts her arm around me and puts her lips up against my ear and whispers, we're gonna win. And I'm like, like pulling away from her and I'm like, I'm pretty sure we're going to win. Why do you think we're going to win? And she goes, because I've played this already. And I'm like, okay, time out. And I go and say to the, say to the guy, you know, to the people at the, at the, the counter, I'm like, look, we are, we're here as reviewers. We also really like escape rooms. We want to play this the right way. And we don't want to play it with someone who's going to, who's going to spoil all this stuff. And they're like, all right. They turn to her and they're like, you can't, you, you can't play. Her friend immediately throws her under the Ford Escape and is like, she's played before. I haven't. And we were like, Lisa and I were like, this is the most obvious lie ever. And the people at the desk are like, oh no, that checks out. So the three of you can go in. So we go in with this woman. The game starts with a whole description of the amenities of the game, of the, of the, of the, of the car. We get into the car and drive to, uh, uh, sorry, we go into the, the first space, which is the whole premise of this is like a day in the life of a Brooklyn hipster, which was also ridiculous. Um, but it starts in a, in a dumpy apartment. We walk in there and this woman beelines for the first puzzle. And it wasn't immediately obvious what that was. And she picks it up and she's like, I, and then she looks at me, I'm glaring at her. She, I have no idea what this is. And she's just holding the first puzzle in her hands. And then she spent the entire rest of the game pretending like she had no idea what was up. It was actually a really good game. It was a remarkably interesting and compelling brand activation, which I think most of them are not, but it was completely in the wrong city. So yeah, that was uh, that was a weird escape room experience. Oh my gosh, I love it. For more ridiculous things like that, you can come to the Reality Escape Pod.